Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I'm Megan Gibson, executive editor, Foreign, in London. It's Friday, the 11th of March. You're listening to World Review from the New Statesman, an international news podcast. Every Thursday, we come together to unpack some of the most significant stories in world affairs. And every Monday, we interview a guest for their unique perspective and expertise. Since Russia began its war in Ukraine in February, World Review has been recording extra episodes in order to follow events more closely. So today, I'm joined by the president of Estonia, Alar Karis. Along with the other Baltic states, Estonia regained its independence from the Soviet Union in 1991. It immediately took great strides to distance itself from its past and move towards the West. Estonia joined both the European Union and NATO and made great advances in digital technology. Yet even as Estonia turned its focus westward, the country remained wary of what Putin was capable of. The president joins me now to discuss the war, NATO solidarity, and what the West must do to help you right. Mr. President, thank you so much for joining us. My first question is about Estonia gaining independence from the Soviet Union, which happened in 1991. And the country didn't really waste any time in distancing itself from Russia's sphere of influence. Estonia joined both NATO and the EU what do you make then of arguments that NATO enlargement is at the root of Putin's assault on Ukraine? We did regain our independence in 1991 and, and we had past 50 years so of, under the Soviet Union. So we, we knew what it, what it meant uh, or what it means. And we started to develop our military forces as well as joining EU and, and NATO. And this was the only option at the time, and, and I, we still think it was the right, uh, right thing to do. And the same with Ukraine. As we see, Ukraine has been neutral according to the constitution till 2016, but it couldn't help in 2014 against the attacks to Russia. That's why it's important to have this deterrence, what we have not the movement here, and uh, of NATO forces and, 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 and so forth. And the same is with Ukraine, of course. Now, um, President Zelensky also said that it's at the time 
is in, in war, it's difficult to join NATO, but he wants definitely to uh, become a member of European Union. And you met with President Zelensky just days before the war broke out. You met with him in Kiev. What were your impressions of him when you met him? Yes, I did meet him on 22nd of February. So it was after recognition of this new region by Russia. Lugansk and, and Donetsk, and the president didn't seem very tired, although it probably has been awake for, for months, basically, already. And he was quite convinced that Russia doesn't attack or escalate outside these two regions. But two days later, we all realized uh, that this was not true. And he also called me on the 24th of, um, of February and he was asking assistance and they had a list what they actually wanted to get from different countries, including Estonia. And this is what they started to do, provide javelins and hobbits and, and ammunitions and, and so forth. So, uh, and of course, humanitarian aid, which is going on at the moment. He's a brave man and he has been defending his country extremely good, extremely well. Yeah, yeah I think... His resilience has surprised a lot of people in the West. I'm sure it certainly has surprised Putin. That's interesting to hear that you, when you met with him, just you said two days before before the war, he didn't even believe that Putin would be launching a, a full-scale assault on the country. He thought it would be a more minimal incursion. Yeah, the same was with me, because we, we didn't believe either that this kind of escalation is going to happen. But these days you can't trust anybody, especially Russians. Since the war has started, Zelensky has said that if Ukraine does fall to Russia, that the Baltic states, including Estonia, will be next. Is that a fear in Estonia? No, not really. I mean, we don't feel any kind of fear in here in Estonia. And the second thing is that uh, it's not Estonia or other Baltic states or Eastern flank uh, countries. It's NATO. That means Russia has to test NATO doesn't matter which country it is. And we know what the answer is uh, if, if anybody attacks NATO, because NATO is a defensive uh, organization. If somebody attacks, we will, uh, we will defend ourselves, no matter which country it is. So we are not in a, afraid in that sense, and uh, we don't expect any military attack in, in the near, near future to disturb it. We'll come back to that. I have many questions about that, actually. But I did also first want to ask, as a member Estonia has a say in Ukraine's EU membership process. And we've seen that the leaders, EU leader summit in Versailles this week, it's the leaders have greenlit Ukraine in pursuing its path towards membership. But there is resistance from some corners on fast tracking Ukraine's membership. Why is this? And what is Estonia's position? Estonia's position is that we should give this confidence that Ukraine is becoming an EU member. And this is what we, uh, this is our um, political position is. Uh, of course, you, you need to, there's no fast track like, like such, but uh, we have to give some rope and some steps what Ukraine should do. And I, I also talked to um, Ukrainian prime minister when I was in Kiev and asked about these reforms and, and so forth. And he said that there are, almost 63% of his uh, requirements are fulfilled. And then second, there are quite a number of different reforms going on. And I also ask a question, let's say, forget this political background, how many years do you need to, to fulfill all the criteria or become a EU member? He said it's roughly two, three, five years maximum. That means they are prepared. Of course, now the situation is completely different. 
because there is war going on. Civilians are dying and they have to rebuild the country. We have to rebuild this country all over again when this war is over. So I wanted to talk a bit about no-fly zones and... Zelensky's call for a no-fly zone has been, I think, rightly resisted by NATO and the West because it would involve NATO forces becoming entangled in the conflict and escalating it. But I wanted to put that logic to the scenario of what would happen in the event that Russia staged a limited attack, perhaps even an ambiguous attack, on one of the Baltic states. Do you think that there, in that such a scenario, there could be resistance from some NATO members in becoming immediately involved? This is something which is, we agreed, it is NATO articles. This is what also Stoltenberg said. We defend every inch of, uh, of square inch of our, of our NATO territory. And this is what's going to happen if this kind of thing is going to happen. So uh, I don't have any doubts about that. But of course, this no-fly zone is a different story. And as you mentioned, nobody wants to get in a, in a military contact with NATO and Russia. So it's a difficult question. Of course, we all want to help help Ukraine, but it's probably not. this is not the way to do it at the moment. And I also know that in my country, some people are telling and some politicians are telling that we should do that. But but I don't think this is this is very right way to go at this very moment. In regards to Article 5, I think I'm imagining specifically uh, a cyber attack, which, if I understand it correctly, there is some debate or argument about whether a cyber attack would be a situation that would necessarily cause Article 5 to be triggered. Now, obviously, Estonia knows very well this scenario as Russia launched a cyber attack on the country in 2007. How much of a concern is there in the country right now that this could happen again? And what has Estonia done to bolster its defenses in cyber since 2007? Yes, I agree. We had this cyber attack in 2007, and it was a surprise for us, and it was a surprise for the whole Western world. And not every everybody believed that this is a reality at the time, but now most of of the Western world, and not only Western world understands what this is the case, and uh, and cyber attacks do exist, and it was also cyber attacks against Ukraine quite recently, and we did some assistance to to Ukrainians, and and I think we are quite good in in uh, defending against these cyber attacks because cyber attacks are are happening every day, basically twenty four seven, seen from different parts of the world. And for civilians, it's most important to have this cyber hygiene put on place. That means we are prepared, and Estonia is prepared. And but of course, more digital you become, more more kind of more attacks are there. This is this is the reality. Yes. And just maybe for any listeners who who aren't aware of how how digital Estonia's society is. What I wonder if you could briefly touch on the elements of society that actually have have become digitized since I mean in recent years, but since the independence. Yes, we started quite early. That's why we have this uh, advantage. But of course, uh, quite a number of countries uh, and most of the European countries are already becoming also digital. So this is not a, not a surprise to to any of the countries at the moment. 
But of course, things develop so fast and the digital world, and you can't be on forefront on, on, on everything which is digital. So even in our country, we have to decide where to put more efforts and then and, and less. But this is extremely important for us for, for sure. And we have this NATO Cyber Center in, in Tallinn, and, and we are extremely pleased that Ukrainians are also now joined finally. Well, some countries didn't want to accept them to with uh, NATO Cyber Center, but now it's, it's okay, and the Ukrainians are members of the center. So things develop quite fast. Wherever you are in the world, if you're interested in global affairs, you can subscribe to The New Statesman, in digital, in print, or both, from as little as £1 a week. That's 12 weeks for just £12. That's one euro a week in Europe and just $2 a week in America. Just go to www.newstatesman.com slash podcast offer. From the New Statesman World Review comes France Elects, a special podcast series exploring the main candidates and the big issues shaping the campaign to be France's next president. I'm Ido Vok. And over the next two months, I'll be joined by special guests to dissect incumbent Emmanuel Macron's record, his rivals to the right and left, and key issues such as foreign policy and the climate. Just search World Review on Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So moving on, all the Baltic states, Estonia as well as Latvia and Lithuania are NATO members. But Estonia is also very geographically close to Finland, which is not a NATO member. How closely are the Baltics working with regional allies in the Nordics that aren't part of NATO in coordinating uh, regional defense? Finland and Sweden are not members of NATO, but they are partners. 
And next week, I'm going to, to visit a military exercise in Estonia. And our military forces from the UK, from, from France, from, from Denmark, as well as from Finland. So we have a very close uh, partnership with OAP's Nordic countries, which are not members of, of NATO. And you probably heard already that Sweden also started to put more, more money on, on defense. It's uh, aiming 2%, 2% uh, of, of its GDP. And uh, Estonia has already 2.3%. And next year, it's, we're expecting 2.4% of GDP to uh, the defense. So, uh, yes, we are, we are very close partners with, uh, with Finland and Sweden. Estonia has a sizable Russian-speaking population. And I know that there was quite a lot of concern after Crimea was annexed in 2014 about a, a similar agitation within Estonia's own Russian-speaking population and, and how it related to the rest of the country as a whole. Since the war in Ukraine started, has there been similar concerns or is that less of a concern based on what's happening in Ukraine? I mean, there's always concern because, you know, even, uh, even Russian-speaking families, so let's say parents are in, in Russia, and, but the sons and daughters are in Ukraine, and they even don't believe their kids who are in, in war. So uh, television is, of course, a very important um, mean of, uh, of communication, and quite a number of also Russians uh, or Russian-speaking minority media watch these propaganda channels. Which were actually closed down a couple of a couple of days ago, so they're not able to um, watch these ones. But of course, in families, uh, there are disputes, and the younger generation are pro-Ukraine, and the elder generation are pro, let's say, uh, Putin. This is what it is, and and this is what we have to deal with and to explain and trying to explain. And at the same time, we got some hundreds of uh, uh, students at our Estonian universities from Russia and from Belarus. And they are basically all against this war and they are pro-Ukraine. So it's not only the domination that matters. It's uh, sometimes what, what the influence you get from different uh, means of communication. So apart from shutting down some of those propaganda channels, has there been any other coordinated efforts to stamp out? No, it would also quite a number of uh, extra money to, uh, or extra resources to our Estonian Russian channels, right? public as well as private ones, just to uh, get more. It's not only news, but it's also uh, you have to have fun if you are listening radio or watching TV, and it's, this is getting more and more expensive. So this is what we are doing, and of course, now the Ukrainians are coming in, and uh, we have already Ukrainian population as well. This is something like 50,000 people. Some of them are temporary places. Some of them are living there for, for quite a while already. And of course, their relatives are coming over and telling all these stories probably, which, which, uh, which is happening now in Ukraine. We, are, we keep eye on, on, on the situation, but it's the same, as you said, it was in 2014. Yes, in, I think it was 2016, I visited Tallinn to do a story on your public broadcaster had just launched a... Russian language channel to try and address and counter propaganda coming from Moscow. So it was a really interesting initiative and there was a lot of optimism that at the time that it would be able to, to stamp out or counter at least misinformation. But it's getting more and more difficult as you understand. It's not only TV channels, mm. it's social media and, and all these kind of things, which is uh, 
In a way, it's even worse. It's difficult to control these channels or these mis-medias. Yes, an expert put it to me that this is Europe's first Twitter war where there's just so many rumors and videos and photos flying around and verifying it is becoming increasingly difficult and it's really muddying the water even for people who wouldn't normally be susceptible to... to Absolutely, yes, absolutely. On that idea of misinformation, what do you think the West's biggest misconception of Putin has been? And not just of who he is, but how he views the world and how he views his sphere of influence. It's probably this Ukrainian war, which started now, this, this wave of war, opened eyes of... of, of many countries and many politicians in the Western world. We knew it already. Uh, I mean, it's, it's not, not nice to say we knew it before, but, but this is something we warned already, that this, you can't trust Russia, you can't trust Putin, but you have to have a war to realize what this kind of autocratic country uh, means, because it's a war, not only a war against Ukraine, it's a war against democracy, it's a war on free world, it's a war against West, this is what it is, and how Putin speaks out that it's, um, he, he basically hates the Western world, and uh, this is this is what this this war is all about. But of course, what he didn't expect that his army is so ill prepared, and that that Western world is so united, including EU and and NATO. So this was a surprise, probably for Putin, and uh, but hopefully it stays like it's to be united in the beginning. It's easy. But if it stays like this, this war is going on, and to stay united, it's much more, more difficult. And this is what we should do to, to win this war with, with Putin. I know Putin has likely been surprised about the, the strength and the unity of sanctions that have so far the West has applied to Moscow. Whether I think there's a lot of questions about whether certain countries in the West will be able to remain firm in that resolve on, on sanctions once the consequences are start to be felt domestically. Has Estonia felt any blowback or consequences from sanctions? Not at this very moment, but of course, the energy prices. We had these energy prices going up already before this war started. But of course, we, we, we do suffer and we, it's also painful for us. But if you think how painful it is uh, for Ukrainians, this war, we should survive this, uh, let's say, um, lack of sometimes uh, some goods or, or, or electricity prices going up and, and, and so forth. If you think about Ukraine, we can we understand we should do something. And it is painful, I agree, but, but it's not that painful compared to Ukraine. In your view, what more should the EU and the West at large do in terms of sanctions? Yeah, there are also new package coming up uh, from the EU side. And, and I w me personally, I was actually surprised that these sanctions made an influence so fast in at least some of them, because we were expecting that they are long-term Long term sanctions and it takes a while, but uh, some of them are actually working quite good. And uh, more sanction we put on, on Russia, better it is. And, and again, Russian people didn't start this war. Putin started this war. But what Russian people can do is to stand up and go on streets like they did already. 
not being afraid of arrests and everything, but just especially younger generation. I think this is important message for Russian people uh, shouldn't be afraid and to go on and support Ukrainians and support the idea to stop this war as, as soon as possible. Do you think if the West had heeded the Baltics and Estonia's warnings earlier about who Putin is and applied harsh sanctions sooner, the war would have been prevented? Difficult to say, but could be. I mean, after 2014, uh, maybe, yeah. It would have been a different situation at the moment. But it's difficult. You can't change history. That is very true. I think that's a, a good note to end on. Thank you so much for speaking with me today. Thank you very much. And, and hopefully this while is going to be over in, in coming weeks. Please join us Monday for an interview with Hungarian political scientist Peter Krakow to discuss how Russia's war in Ukraine is being viewed in Hungary. If you've enjoyed this episode of World Review, please like, subscribe, rate us, leave a review, and tell your friends. My producer has been Adrian Bradley. Thank you for listening, and until next time. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Trust in politics is broken. So can we get UK politics working again? That was the last time we were happy. 2012. I'm Beth Rigby, Sky's political editor. Join me every week with Labour's Jess Phillips and Conservative peer Ruth Davidson for some electoral dysfunction. This idea of nuance has completely left politics. Together, we'll focus on the policies that could deliver political satisfaction. Follow electoral dysfunction wherever you get your podcasts.